This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I am not Bob Ambrosi from Massachusetts. He is off today, and that's what happens when you read the script. Uh, I'm actually Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Today, we're going to be talking about voter fraud, faulty equipment, technical problems, paper ballots, voter purges, third-party registration problems. These are some of just the minor issues <laughs> plaguing elections past and present. There's a wide array of issues that take us back all the way to the 2000 presidential election, probably beyond in history. Uh, but that was Bush versus Gore when Florida's hanging chads were the big controversy. What resulted was the recount process in Florida and the unusual event that the Democratic candidate Al Gore had received just 543,816 more popular votes than Bush. Florida's 25 electoral votes gave Bush 271 electoral votes, defeating Al Gore, which led to a highly controversial victory for George W. Bush. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to discuss the legal issues surrounding voters' rights. We will also discuss voter fraud, election litigation, and what can and can't be done to recruit voters. So we've brought in an expert. Today's show, we have attorney Brenda Wright. She's the legal director of Demos. It's a nonpartisan public policy research and advocacy organization. She joined Demos with 18 years of experience in litigation, public education, and advocacy on voting rights, campaign finance reform, and election reform issues. She directs Demos litigation initiatives in the democracy program and participates in Demos's research and policy work on democracy issues. Before joining Demos, Brenda served as the managing attorney at the National Voting Rights Institute. She also previously served as the director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under the Law in Washington, D.C. Her extensive trial and appellate experience in voting rights and campaign finance cases includes two arguments before the United States Supreme Court. She's also testified before Congress, multiple federal agencies and state legislatures, and has authored numerous law review articles. Welcome, Brenda Wright. Great to be here. And our next expert is attorney Edward Still. He is a Birmingham lawyer who specializes in voting law, and he's got 30 years of experience in field of redistricting and voting rights, including six years as general counsel to the Alabama Democratic Party, as counsel for several Alabama cities in redistricting matters, representation of former Alabama Attorney General Bill Baxley in a major election contest, and representation of minority citizens in more than 200 cases under the Voting Rights Acts. It is also founder of the blog VoteLaw.com, and if I kept reading his resume, he'd be, we'd be here all day. Welcome to the show, Edward Still. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, let's start off with the current hot topic of uh, the registration project uh, between ACORN and voter purges. Uh, what's going on there? Well, Brenda, do you know more about that than I do? I've got lots of opinions. Well, you know, uh, there, obviously there's been a lot in the news recently about uh, ACORN as an organization and uh, uh, vote questions about uh, some of the voter registration uh, applications that have been turned in by ACORN workers. And I think what needs to be understood about that for the context is that, you know, they've, the group has been, you know, one of the most important groups out there doing income, uh, doing voter registration among low-income populations. 
and has registered something like 1.3 million uh, people, they estimate, during this, this election season. And in some of the states, uh, there have been questions raised about some of the voter registration applications turned in by some of their workers. And in, in most of those instances, the problematic registrations have been caught by uh, ACORN officials themselves as part of their quality control efforts. Uh, they pull those aside. They flag them for the election authorities. And under the laws of most states, uh, they are required to turn in every form that is collected. They can't, they can't make their own decisions about which forms are valid and which are invalid. So the most they can do is to flag the ones that may be problematic. And, uh, and, and that's what's happened in most of the states where, where some of these, you know, often obviously fraudulent forms uh, in a few cases, have been have been discovered that might have you know names taken out of the phone book, put on them, or uh, Mickey Mouse or Mary Poppins or whatever. And I think what people need to understand about that is that uh, you know when workers turn in phony registration forms, it's it's really the workers defrauding their own employer, Acorn, by not going out and doing the actual voter registration work, um, but instead taking the easy way out, which a few bad apples you know, are going to do, and making up names uh, and, and turning those in instead of, instead of doing the real work they were hired to do. Um, so, you know, a lot of uh, heat has been generated over that. I think very little light has been generated. There is no uh, massive threat to the fabric of democracy. And, and I think the bigger threat to democracy that we're seeing in this election season is you know, various efforts to suppress voter turnout, to uh, challenge the qualifications of voters on very flimsy grounds, and to prevent, you know, fully qualified and eligible people from getting to the polls in this election that we think is going to generate unprecedented turnout. We're seeing more and more early voters. Uh, is this a new phenomenon that's occurring, Ed? Are you seeing, uh, is this something that's just in this election, or have we done this in years past? Well, early voting is a process that uh, uh, is an in-person uh, voting. You go to a selected uh, site and and vote, unlike absentee voting, which is usually a mail-in ballot of some sort. Uh, it's catching on in a lot of states. Uh, my own state used it in one election and decided it caused too many problems, and, and they dropped it. Uh, but we are loosening up the, the standards for uh, for absentee voting. But you still have to have a reason in Alabama to vote absentee. Now, there are a lot of states that don't require that at all. But we are seeing record numbers of people coming out and voting early. Part of that may be that they are really committed people and they want to go on and vote. Or it may be that they've heard all these stories that they're going to be long lines and they're going to be challenges and things like that. And so they want to come out early. And, and if there's a problem, well, they'll just come back later with, with all the proper documentation that they need. You said, you said earlier that you had some opinions about the ACORN situation. Well, right. The, the ACORN thing is a, is a manufactured controversy by, by folks who don't like the politics of ACORN. Uh, 
uh, it seems to me. Uh, you'll notice that there's only one political party that seems to be complaining about ACORN, and that's because they think that all the ACORN registrations are going to uh, to vote Democratic. But there's also just a general mindset. Democrats, if, if you scratch the surface of them, nearly all of them believe everybody ought to be able to vote. And among Republicans, the mantra of their leaders is uh, voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud. And so, and some of them, if you really got them in a room and made them tell the truth, would like to have some qualifications for voting. They 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 think there's some just some people who shouldn't be voting who are. Uh, so it's just a different mindset on the part of the two parties. So voter registration drives mostly seem to be carried out by pro-democratic groups or groups that that cater to people who are likely to vote Democratic. Well, the last time I checked, the only two qualifications that the Constitution required was that you were uh, 18 and that you were, were a citizen of the United States. Otherwise, you can vote. That's generally true. There, there are other. There's a residency requirement in a lot of places, uh, but that's gotten shorter and shorter. And and essentially, if you can get to the registration uh, place before your uh, before the cutoff, which uh, in a lot of states is 10 days or 30, uh, 20 days, something like that, before the election, they're generally going to allow you to vote. There's a federal law that. Uh, that protects that if you're voting for president. Uh, so uh, you're right. Those are those are the principal qualifications. Brenda, there has been some flap about uh, all of these people that own motorhomes uh, and travel around the country, but don't happen to own property or have a residence in a particular state, no permanent address. Estimates are, I think, that there are about 500,000 or so of these people, which is enough or would have been enough in the uh, Florida election last year to swing the vote. What? How is that being handled? Well, you know, I think it varies from state to state on how it's being handled. Uh, there really logically has to be some place where uh, people who who reside in motorhomes are permitted to vote. And, and generally, it should probably be, you know, whatever state they have the, the most contact with during a, a given year. Perhaps where the motorhomes registered, licensed? Uh, it could be that. It could be, you know, where they, where they keep it, uh, you know, the larger part of the year. Um, I mean, the, the, the question of voting in a, in a mobile society is, is, is broader than just the question of people in, in uh, motorhomes. It's, it's a it's a question that um, affects the eligibility of a lot of voters uh, when you know they they, they tend to uh, move frequently uh, to new addresses and and that's why um, that's one of the reasons why Demos uh, has long sought to promote reforms like election day registration which uh, we have in in something like nine states now that you can register and vote on the same day um, even at the polling place in in, in eight of those states. Um, so that if you happen to have moved recently or if you haven't updated your address or if for some reason they, they can't find you on the rolls, even though you, you are registered, uh, it's not a problem and you can just uh, re-register, update your registration and go ahead and, and vote the same day. I think the big problem with ACORN, at least is from you know what I've seen in the news and the coverage, is that there are a few people who are registered multiple times. Obviously, they, they can't vote multiple times. But what, what are the rules that ACORN has to deal with in terms of recruiting voters, and what is it that they can't do? Well, you can't promise to pay anybody to, be, to register. 
you can't give them anything of value to register or to vote. That's one thing. But as far as the multiple registrations, if if I went down and uh, to the board of registrars here and said, "Gee, I'm not sure if I'm really registered or not," and I gave somebody a, a another application, and they didn't have time to check it in the computer right then. They would take a second application from me. From me, they would probably just treat that as a as a change of address form or something like that if if they needed to. Uh, but I'm not going to be registered multiple times. Now, th- th- that's different from situation in which I tried to register in Jefferson County and also in Tuscaloosa County and also in Shelby County. That's that's fraud uh, right there. And then if I try to go vote in all those places, uh, that's uh, really fraudulent. Uh, but with the price of gas these days, I doubt People are going to be driving a lot to uh, to go <laughs> to go vote out of county, but a lot of times there there are mistakes that are made in voter registration systems, and a lot of these are just human error. It's a it's a system breakdown. When I moved from Virginia back to to Alabama, I had been here oh several months, and I got a, a note from the a board of registrar or from the uh, uh, board of elections in Fairfax County, Virginia, asking me to be a polling official again in Fairfax County, Virginia. And I had to write back to them and said, you, you should have been notified. I have registered in Alabama. I'm no longer a resident of Virginia. Well, that system is supposed to be in place, but it doesn't get done. Similarly, the, uh, it used to be that uh, every time you move from county to county, you had to re-register. We still do in Alabama. But they were supposed to be a notification to the old county, but that wouldn't get done sometimes. And so people would show up on two different uh, voting lists unaware. Uh, they would be unaware of that. Uh, that's the reason everybody's going to the statewide voter registration list where if you come in and they say, uh, where'd you used to live, you tell them, and it gets corrected in the computer that day. Uh, so the statewide list is is updated, and then the county lists are updated that night. Uh, that's uh, a good a good system, and that will cut down on these uh, on these duplications. But they're still d- duplicate names. You know. Is that, that is that what's going on in terms of the people complaining about these voter purges? Yeah, uh, one of the problems with the voter purge is uh, that we get a piece of information that a person X has died or has moved away or uh, been convicted of a crime which disqualifies them from voting. And the Board of Registrars looks on the list and takes a person with that name off. But it may not be the exact same person. And if they're real fuzzy about uh, middle initials and, and don't, pay particular attention, they may be taking off the the wrong person entirely. I have, for instance, the same name as my late father, and it turned out he had the same name uh, as somebody who lived in Macon, Georgia, where we were living at the time, who owed some money to some people. Uh, So you can see that when multiple, multiple people will have the same name. And so just going by somebody's name is not good enough. That's why boards of registrars now generally require either 
the last four digits of the social security number, or a driver's license number, some sort of unique number that they can trace you back with. Yeah, one of the problems with these, you know, sort of widespread and indiscriminate purchases that that may be based on faulty information. Uh, we saw in Montana recently where the Republican Party tried to use uh, change of address information from the Postal Service to challenge a number of voters in, in Democratic uh, neighborhoods. And uh, they ended up challenging, you know, a whole lot of people who uh, were perfectly eligible voters, including uh, servicemen and women who had change of address information on file because they had been posted overseas and, and you know, still, of course, had every right to continue to vote in the election. Uh, there was a lawsuit over that, and a federal judge in Montana issued a scathing decision uh, decrying the, what he saw as political chicanery uh, in this effort, and uh, eventually the, the challenges were, were withdrawn. Um, but I think the, one of the biggest concerns about this upcoming election is not this tiny and almost vanishing you know, incidence of, of fraud uh, by voters, but, but instead the, the possibility of, of thousands of legitimate voters not getting the opportunity to vote uh, because of these faulty purges, uh, because the, there may not be sufficient amounts of um, equipment and poll workers and resources to handle the turnout that is expected. And, and uh, you know, those are, those are bigger problems in a, in a democracy where we want to encourage broad participation than this tiny, tiny incidence of, of actual voter fraud. Well, Senator Obama has said he's, he's amassed the largest law firm in the country on the day of the election to handle voting issues. Why would we need to have lawyers participating in uh, at polling places, and what issues are going to come up on Election Day? Well, lawyers generally don't uh, aren't stationed at polling places, but rather sort of in central locations where they can answer uh, questions and then go out if there's if there's a particular problem, and I've done that in a number of elections uh, in the past. Uh, in Virginia, for instance, when Mark Warner was running for governor, uh, we set up a uh, a call center uh, in Alexandria that had uh, five or six different numbers from different regions of the state, and so those all those calls came there. And uh, we would answer people's questions uh, concerning, uh, you know, why they weren't able to vote or what they had to have to, to go vote, something like that. A lot of times those people were being called by, uh, the calls were coming in on cell phones from uh, lay people who were observers at the polling place. And somebody would come out and they'd say, they wouldn't let me vote. And then they'd you know, dial the number and, and put them on to a lawyer, and we would uh, calm them down and try to figure out what the problem was. And if there, we were prepared to go into court, uh, if necessary, if it looked like there was a systemic problem, not something, you know, that was just a, a sort of a one-off situation, we did not have that, but we answered hundreds of calls during that day. That's, that's the model that's used in a lot of places, and there's some nonprofit organizations. Uh, I don't know if... Uh, uh, Demos is going to be participating yes. in that or not? Uh, yes, there's, there's a there's an election protection effort that's being run by a nonpartisan coalition, uh, and anybody can call in and get help if they have problems on election day. The 
The national hotline for that is 1-866-OUR-VOTE. That's O-U-R-V-O-T-E. And, uh, you know, that's going to be staffed by uh, volunteer lawyers uh, run in a, you know, completely nonpartisan way. And uh, it's, been, it's been up and running for the past uh, several elections and, and expects to handle, you know, thousands and thousands of, of, of calls on Election Day. What's a typical call? A uh, typical call will be, I'm at my polling place. It's, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning when it's supposed to open and nobody's here. Or I'm at my polling place and I've been standing in line for two hours because, uh, you know, two of the four machines in my precinct have broken down. What can I do? Um, uh, another, t- another typical call is I've been, I've been registered at the same location for 20 years and I came here and my name's not on the list. What can I do about it? And uh, uh, at the uh, Election Protection Center, there are uh, attorneys who can try to help troubleshoot for voters, uh, get them in contact with uh, election officials, see if their information can be verified um, at their uh, central uh, registry office, if possible. Um, and, you know, often in, in the past few elections, we've had uh, the necessity of trying to have polling hours extended um, it, because uh, people are standing in line uh, at the end of the 13 or 14 hour period and, and not going to get the opportunity to vote otherwise. So there's a, there's a huge variety of, of problems that, that can arise and, and, and that have arisen in, in past elections. We, we hope those will be minimal in the upcoming election, but I think we've got to be prepared for uh, some real log jams um, on Election Day, given the, the turnout that we're expecting. You know, we have a national list for do not call that the FCC manages. Uh, why isn't there any kind of a national database of voters so that a lot of these problems can be eliminated? That's a question of federalism. Uh, we, the, the way the Constitution is written, it assumes that uh, uh, states are going to run elections. And then, as somebody has said, uh, we don't really have... Uh, 50 or 51 uh, different elections for president. We have 13,000 because that's how many independent units there are that um, that run elections. And so the uh, the Secretary of State in a particular state will have minimal control, some but not a lot, over you know who the polling officials are, uh, what the ballots look like. Sometimes that's set by statute. Uh, or it's set by the machine manufacturer. You know, the ballot's got to be able such and such size uh, to be able to go through this machine. Uh, but the the polling places are run on a county level uh, in most states or parish in Louisiana, and I'm not sure how it is in the Northeast where counties aren't as important. Um, but uh, they're run by local jurisdictions. And um, we we really need to have you're right, we have, need to have some more centralization, at least, I think, at the state level, so that there's somebody we can point to and say, you screwed up, or you did a great job in running this election, and we need to have a statewide voter list, and it needs to be done in such a way that if I move to a different county that's in my same metropolitan area, for instance, I don't have to go re-register to vote, I just send in a change of address form and Blip, I'm moved over. Uh, with one single voter list, there's no sense in making people go re-register. Uh, that's ridiculous. Right, and this, is, we... this is 
Brenda, hang on just a second. We need to take a short break. We'll, when we return, we'll hear more about voting law and take a look at next month's election. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Visit WestLegalWorks.com to register for the 12th Annual Electronic Discovery and Records Retention Conference being held November 6th and 7th in Chicago. For more information, visit WestLegalWorks.com. Online video is one of the best ways to get the message out about your firm, and Legal Channels is where your firm should be. You can have your firm's video produced by TV professionals and seen on Law.com, Legal Talk Network, and YouTube. Find out more at law.com or legaltalknetwork.com. Just click on Legal Channels. A video settlement documentary is a powerful tool. It can turn your plaintiff's case into money at the settlement table. Call the professionals at Skyways Communications at 781-551-9960 to find out more. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back Attorney Brenda Wright. She's the legal director of DEMOS, a nonpartisan public policy research and advocacy organization. And Attorney Edward Still is a Birmingham lawyer, formerly of Virginia, who specializes in voting law. Brenda, I cut you off right before the break. You had some thoughts. Well, I, I, I think the conversation was sort of taking us back to the need for uh, more voter-friendly policies in the way we run elections. Uh, things such as election day registration or same day registration so that you can go in on election day itself if you, you know, you don't have an arbitrary uh, registration cutoff deadline. If you uh, get interested in the election toward the end, you can go in, register, and vote on the same day. If there's some problem with uh, whether you're on the list or not, you don't have to uh, worry about it or cast a provisional ballot. You can just update your information right there on the spot. And the states that have adopted this, and there's uh, nine of them now, have much higher levels of participation uh, than other states, generally 10 to 12 points higher. And much of that difference can be directly attributed uh, to the policy of Election Day registration itself. There were something like uh, three-quarters of a million people who used Election Day registration in the 2006 elections. And I think we're going to see... Uh, even higher numbers in this this upcoming election. But if more states move to a system like that, we'd have a lot fewer uh, uh, mess-ups on Election Day at the polling place. We'd have a lot fewer provisional ballots uh, to count that lead to so many disputes and uh, a lot more people getting the opportunity to vote. You know, in some ways, I feel like I'm I'm listening to... uh principals and teachers in schools when I hear that some people have been turned away for uh, wearing campaign buttons and shirts for their candidate of choice or bumper stickers on themselves. Is this considered a form of campaigning? Is it unconstitutional? What really, what can voters do when they go to the polls? That varies from state to state. Uh, in Alabama, for instance, people can wear a, uh, a button in. Uh, the, we've got an attorney general's opinion that says that's okay. Even though electioneering is prohibited within 30 feet of the uh, polling place, which generally means within 30 feet of the, of the front door of the building. Uh, well, that generally means people passing out stuff and talking to people. Uh, but if I go in wearing a button, 
I expect to be uh, sometimes told to take that off, but I'll have a copy of the Attorney General's opinion with me. But there are other states that say you can't come in with a button or with a shirt, you know, that says uh, uh, Palin is a hot chick and I'm going to vote for her or whatever they happen to have, uh, and they'll uh, make people cover it up, uh, you know, put a blanket over them or put an extra coat on, something like that. Right, and I think people need to understand. I mean, you know, this is not something you're going to get arrested for at the polling place. If you come in with a T-shirt because you didn't know what the rule was, chances are they will give you, you know, a jacket or a coat to cover it up, or you can just turn it inside out or something. It's, it it should, not, should not be the biggest concern on people's minds on Election Day. What are people's constitutional rights as voters? Well, that's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, well, do you I, have another hour? <laughs> I, rem- I remember taking a, a seminar class in law school that lasted an entire semester on voting rights across the country, but uh, can you give us the uh, the uh, Cliff Notes version? Well, uh, you know, I, th- I think that what we aspire to is an election system in which everybody who uh, is, is qualified to vote gets the opportunity to register and, and gets the opportunity to cast their ballot on election day and that's that's a that's pretty basic um, we have a lot more to do in this country to make sure that the the right to vote that exists uh, in theory is actually able to be exercised at the polling place on election day we we need to devote more resources to election administration so that we have well-trained poll workers and so that we have enough uh, voting places and enough voting machines to accommodate uh, an election with high turnout. We shouldn't be building into our expectations uh, the belief that uh, only a small percentage of people will actually turn out to vote. We need to, you know, be prepared to to run a a highly participatory and and high turnout uh, election. That's especially important uh, this time around when I think everybody expects unprecedented turnout, including uh, unprecedented levels uh, of voting among young people and people who may not previously have voted in the past. So um, there's a lot we need to do to, to make the, the right to vote uh, real and to make it accessible to people. And uh, if we're fortunate, if things turn out right, we, we will see the, the best of what democracy can uh, offer in this upcoming election. Well, we've reached near the end of the program, so it's time for us to wrap up and get your contact information. So, Ed, can we get your final thoughts and your contact information? Well, I, I second what uh, Brenda just said, and I would uh, say that we probably ought to go to a system of uh, universal registration where the government has the responsibility of making sure everyone is registered. That would solve a lot of those problems. Uh, people can get in touch with me through my website, uh, edwardstill.com, or through my uh, Vote Law blog, which is votelaw.com slash blog, and uh, they can, uh, I, I try to cover things uh, that are of interest to election lawyers, and uh, I get too busy sometimes, can't keep it up to date, but I'd love people to look at it. Thank you very much. And Brenda? Uh, well, uh, you, can, you can reach me through uh, Demos, and our website is www.demos.org, that's D-E-M-O-S. Uh, it's not an acronym. It's just uh, it's uh, demos is just Greek for the people, and um, uh, I would also encourage uh, people to remember the election protection hotline number, which is one eight six six our vote, and there's also a website associated with that uh, uh, our vote dot 
dot org. So, um, uh, again, I think that uh, in this election, we have the potential to see unprecedented numbers of people come out and vote. Uh, it's our strong hope that our system is ready for that and uh, that, that the maximum number of people will be able to take advantage of, of the opportunity. Great. Well, thank you both very much. That about does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com. Very special thanks to our two guests, Brenda Wright, the legal director of Demos, and attorney Edward Still, a Birmingham voting lawyer. And you can also find all of our prior shows on uh, Lawyer to Lawyer at the Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great legal topic. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.